We're going to spend a few moments now looking at the angel messages at Advent. I invite you to again bow your heads for a moment. Father in heaven, thank you today for condescending to coming down to this earth. And we ask that you would come again as we open your word and are reminded of you, the eternal word. In Christ's name, amen. Angel messages at Advent. This past week we had the Christmas program and I took a look at the angel messages in the first Advent. I want to review that today and then look at the connection with the three angels' messages at the last Advent. Um, So, a closer look at these messages. In the first Advent, of course, there was Mary, who conceived in the midst of corruption, you might say, when the earth was filled with gross darkness. And we find that message in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 56. She was in Nazareth when Gabriel came to visit. And as Gabriel came to visit in Galilee, that is in Nazareth, the most despised town, he came and told her in the midst of that gross darkness there would be a great light, the light of the world, and that she was with child. She would be having that baby even though she was not yet married. Of course, the angel most likely had scriptures to back himself up. In fact, we know from reading and look that he did. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, so bear a child, quoting right out of Isaiah. And then, of course, in Genesis 3.15, there was a woman that would have a seed that ultimately would be victorious. So the angel came not just with his own brightness, but also with the light of God's word. And Mary rejoiced. She was delighted that she could be a part of the plan of salvation. Then the angels rushed off to tell Joseph. Just in time, I might add, because he was about to put Mary away. Because if someone was pregnant and was not married, even if they were betrothed in that time, that was a capital offense. You were either strangled or publicly stoned, or if you're the high priest's daughter, you were burned publicly. And so the angel came just in time, and in a dream, said to Joseph, Do not be afraid to marry Mary. Because, again, it's according to Scripture. And showed the Bible text and shared with Joseph, if we believe Matthew's account, the scriptural basis for why he should go forward. And so Joseph listened and married Mary. And both Mary and Joseph were told that the child's name would be Jesus. For he would save his people, not in their sin, but from their sin. Behold, an unwed virgin shall conceive. Think about it. God has an ovum (laughs) and has the smallest connection of cells. 
early pictures of the incarnation, perhaps. Christ becoming a baby in the likeness of men, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It would have been an almost infinite humiliation for the Son of God to take man's nature even when Adam stood in his innocence in Eden. But Jesus accepted humanity when the race had been weakened by 4,000 years of sin. Like every child of Adam, he accepted the results of the working of the great law of heredity. He came with such a heredity to share our sorrows and temptations and to give us the example of a sinless life. When you look at the Christmas story, we often have Christmas light. We have a do-it-yourself Messiah. And we have um, maybe just traditions, and we don't think really how messy getting into the genetics uh, was until we looked closely at the genealogies in Luke and Matthew. And when you look in that genealogy of Matthew, you see that the forebears of Christ were not all great folks. Lot, he had a lot of problems. Moab means, who is my daddy? Mo, who? Abba, who is my dad? Tamar was passed over in the taking care of her by Ur and Onan, and Judah said he would take care of her, and he didn't take care of her, so he actually was entrapped by Tamar, who dressed up as a harlot and slept with Judah and then made him actually do his duty in taking care of her. And she, he ended up saying, she is more righteous than I am. But this is not a pretty picture. Now, I actually like the genealogy because it tells that God was willing to get down into the middle of a mess. And maybe someone here today has been in a mess, has made a mess, or is a mess. And what the story says today is, I hear you, I identify with you, I can help you. Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, even King David, who was hearkened at the baptism of Jesus. This is my David, this is my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Each of them had, you might say, skeletons in the closet, and they were all part of the genealogy. And so the Christmas story is for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think about yourself, or no matter what others think about you. The story is for you. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son while on a road trip. Kylie is about to deliver. We're going to have a shower and she might go to a room like this, I'm not sure, where everything's there just in case everything's not there. Everything is there just in case. But this was not Christ's entrance into the world. He had a far different circumstance. In fact, though it's similar, there are stunning contrasts that help us understand 
how broad and meaningful the incarnation truly is. Jesus would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. We still do that today. He would be hungry and need to eat and drink. He would weep. Think about it. God weeping as a child. He would be born in a challenging location, a location that today is torn by war and conflict and starvation. He didn't identify with the most affluent parts of the world, but with the most challenging parts of the globe. God totally identified God with us, God with you, God with me, God with whoever you may be. And these were the angel messages of the first advent. Mary conceived in the midst of corruption and gross darkness. Joseph told to marry Mary and to call his son Jesus, for he would save his people from, not in, but from their sins. Second angel's message to Joseph was to come out of Israel and go to Egypt. Again, the angel came and said, this is on the basis of Scripture. The prophet Hosea said, out of Egypt I will call my son. And so Joseph and Mary were called out to go down to Egypt. And he listened to that second angel's message. And he went down and he left because Herod was about to kill him and to kill the child. Challenging political situation that Jesus was born in. 70% of the world's population now live under dictatorships. And Jesus identified with that 70%. He didn't come to a country or a land where everything was set up perfectly. He went and had to go through trying situations. Sometimes people wonder, what is it? Why is it that so many people have to go through suffering and torment? What did they ever do? And even in Christ's story, you can see that there was collateral damage as well. When they tried to kill Jesus, he was saved, and yet many infants died. And this was what we might call collateral damage in the great controversy. But God even understands that. He knows if you've gone through a situation that was not your fault, and you're the recipient of something happening that you didn't deserve, that you didn't sign up for. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah said this to those who lost their kids in that terrible um, murder by Herod. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus saith the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. They may have died, death is an enemy, but they'll come back from that land. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children will come back to their own border. How many think those are hopeful words, not just for those? folks that experienced that loss, but for someone even here today that's gone through something, something that happened, no fault of their own, but 
It's collateral damage. Mary, first angel's message, second angel's message, they were safe there in Egypt for a time. But then Joseph was called again. Another angel came. The third angel's message, you might say, or the third message from an angel to Joseph, saying, don't stay in Egypt. It's not bad enough. You need to go back to a place that's even worse. Because can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so he hearkened to the third angel's message, or the third message of the angel, and he went back to Nazareth and raised his child in the best school possible, the most spiritual environment, that had the best deeds, that had the best rules. No, in the worst situation, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a despised and rejected town, and he also would be despised and rejected. Even his family was a thermonuclear family, not a nuclear family. It had all kinds of problems. His brothers did not even believe in him. He was tempted of the devil. He was in all points and in every respect tempted like as we are. And ultimately, he would identify with the sin, the shame, and guilt that were ours. He would be alone. He would be abandoned. He would be betrayed. He would be despised and rejected. He would be abused. He would be physically violated. He would be shamed and humiliated. He would be verbally and mentally assaulted. He would be emotionally abused by authority figures, people that knew better, those who were high up in the church. He would be abused by Satan himself, and he would be tempted to numb the pain. He would be tempted to be involved in substance abuse because of his abuse. And he would find himself asking why. Do you see the importance of the Christmas story? Can you understand how powerful it really is? Can Jesus identify with you? No one understands like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He's waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus. And this is the intent of the three angels' messages of the first advent. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. As one of us, he was to give an example of obedience. For this, he took upon himself our nature and passed through our experiences. In all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. If we had to bear anything which Christ did not endure, then upon this point, Satan would represent the power of God as insufficient for us. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are. This is an amazing thought. It, by the way, takes away every excuse we might have, but it also gives us every bit of gratitude we could ever have. In every respect, he's been tested as we have been tested. He took upon himself human nature and was tempted in all points as human nature is tempted. He could have sinned. He could have fallen, but not for one moment was there in him an evil propensity. 
never in any way leave the slightest impression upon human minds that a taint of or inclination to corruption rested upon Christ or that he in any way yielded to corruption. He came as close as you can come to fully identify with you and yet be fully unlike you. I say praise God. He did all this without sin. He endured every trial to which we are subject. He exercised in his own behalf no power that is not freely offered to us. Can you say hallelujah? As a man, he met temptation and overcame. And the strength given him from God, he says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. By his humanity, Christ touched humanity. By his divinity, he lays hold on the throne of God. As the Son of Man, he gave us an example of obedience. And as the Son of God, he gave us power to obey. This is the Christmas story. Unto him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Also, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And this is why this is such a powerful promise in Peter. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, to the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Can you say hallelujah? That through these you may become partakers of the what? Divine nature. Well, people like to talk about the human nature of Christ, but I'm interested in this text where it says, I can actually become a partaker of the divine nature. Can you say hallelujah? and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And this is why that name was so significant that the angel shared with Mary and also Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, not in their sins, but from their sins. How about that as a gift this year for Christmas? You see, any doctrine of the gospel that doesn't embrace all the totality of it is no gospel at all. Jesus came and died for your sin, and so you are justified by faith. But he also came and lived a holy life so that you can also live a holy life by faith. And he also gave glory to his Father, and so did the angels, so that you can join in whatever you eat and whatever you drink and whatever you do, giving glory to the Father above. This is the true response to the message of the Christ child. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Three angels' messages for the first advent. Mary conceived in corruption. The first message that Joseph was to marry Mary and call the child Jesus. The second message to come out and go to Egypt. The third message to go back to Nazareth and then raise the child in the midst of the most corrupt environment so that the whole world would be reached 
I, if I be lifted up, will draw all. The word man is added in most translations or most renditions. It's not there. It's just all. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all, the entire universe, to myself. And the whole world was reached, it says in Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23, in one generation with this amazing story that was not a myth, it was the truth. How many of you are thankful for this story of Christmas? Now that word advent is derived from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or appearing or arrival, which is translated in to the Greek word parousia, which is used for the second coming. And what I want to do now, in the remainder of our sermon, is now look at the three angels' messages at the end of time. Because those three angels' messages at the first advent were really getting people actually ready, not just for the first advent, but for the second advent. And now let's look at those messages. Angel messages and the second advent. In the second advent, there again was a pregnant woman. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 5, you have a woman who's with child and is pregnant and is about to give birth, and there's a dragon trying to attack that pregnant woman. And then she delivers her child. The child is caught up to God. The woman is taken away and given refuge, and her seed, her offspring, those that come from her family line, ultimately are also also attacked by that dragon. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, Revelation 12, 17. That group of people, the remnant, the Christ, uh, the, the, the children of that woman, uh, are given also three messages which are covered in Revelation chapter 14. The first angel's message is found in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. And you may remember what it, it says. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every kindred, tribe, nation, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of living water. So that first angel's message comes just as that first message came to Joseph, a message comes at the end of time, and the message is embracing the full gospel. It's embracing the whole message of that first advent. It's embracing the whole message of Jesus. It's embracing the idea that he came not to save people in their sins, but from their sins. Can you say hallelujah? That's the whole idea. And that gospel is to go to the entire world. That's the picture of the first angel. The second angel's message. And I saw another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Revelation chapter 14, verse 8. And then Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people, yes, you, lest you share in her sins and receive her plagues. So God's people are to come out just as, Moses, just as Joseph was called out to go to Egypt, so God's people are called out of Babylon at this particular time because God wants to protect that gospel message, save them from their sins, the things that separate them from God and others. How many think this is kind of an amazing parallel? 
Come out. Come out of corruption. Is this the message for us today? Third angel's message. There's a cry, a loud cry, from below and above. Revelation chapter 14, 9 through 11. If anyone worships the beast in his image or received his mark, his forehead or in his hand, him also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He will be tormented in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image or have the number of his name. This sounds at first like, well, that doesn't sound like a very happy message until you really think about it. Because it's a message that's basically saying, don't connect, don't disconnect from me. Don't worship a beast. Worship me. Don't break the first commandment. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I brought you out. Worship me. Don't make an image. Don't make an image. Have a real relationship with me. Second commandment. <laughs> and uh, don't take my name in vain. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15, verse 8. Don't come up with your own commandments. Realize that my commandments were meant for your good. Please don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You know, you really don't break God's commandments. you realize that? You only break yourself. His commandments are just fine. How many of you notice that when you go off the freeway and try and drive through the woods at 70 miles an hour, the trees are relatively fine? <laughs> but you're not. And sometimes people think that they can go on in life, make up their own commandments, do their own will, do their own way, and guess what happens? They get sick. They get hurt. And that's what God is saying here in this third angel. He's saying, please don't disconnect from me. Don't do that. Please. Don't do that. In fact, I'm going to say it from above, but I'm going to have a group of people below that say the same thing. You're going to find them. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. They're motivated by the faith of Jesus, which is a gift of the Spirit. It's in their lives. And as they're living that out, they actually embody the love of Christ as a people. How many of you have ever met a group of people that ministered to you so much for your good, that you realized you were experiencing not a human love, but the love of, of God. Anybody? I remember I was talking to a man not so long ago in one of the clinical programs here, and he said to me, I don't believe in God. And uh, I was so happy he told me that. I was like, praise, praise, praise God that you're telling me this. And he goes, so that's an odd response. I said, you see, you're not apathetic. You're, you're, you're bold enough to tell me that, which means that's something you're thinking about. I didn't bring that up. And he goes, I guess I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's a sign of conviction. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit's working in your life. And uh, I didn't want to alienate him too much, so I just zipped the lip after that. I didn't say much. And uh, we started dipping him in hot water and cold water. Yeah, three times a day, and then we started to put good food in him, and we 
walked him around the loop and different things and did a whole bunch of things. And he started feeling better. He had some zip in his lip, some spet, you know, pep in his step, some spunk in his trunk. His eyes were popping. His jaw was dropping. And he was having that silk milk, that sham ham, the fake steak, the phony baloney, and all that stuff. And he began to start to feel better. And, uh, and he came into my room again, and he seemed to remember that he had rejected the love of God. And then he said to me, I said to him, so how are things going? And he goes, I still don't believe in God. He wanted to let me know that. And I said, uh, why is that? And he began to tell me a little bit about it. And then I said, well, how do you like, how do you like the people here in the program? Oh, man, they're so nice. I don't get any sense of condemnation except with you. You know, I'm like, well, what did I do? He goes, it's just who you are, you know. I just, you know. <laughs> you get that a lot, you know. I get that a lot. It's just get beat up because of who I am, not, you know, anything I said. And he goes, but, you know, this. And, he, and I said, well, tell me about it. He told me about the different things. And I said to him, I said, you know what? Do you know what the Bible says? It says that Christ is God. And it says that God has a body. And that body is his church. There are those connected to him. Do you think these people have shown you love? He said, absolutely. I've never seen so much love in my whole life. I said, could that be that that's really God's body doing that to you? And he looked at me stunned. He said, I never thought about it that way. And that's what this group of people is supposed to be doing. They so are in love with Christ that they become actually Christ-like. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, they keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. They have the faith of Jesus in their lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is obedience to the faith, they, their commandment keeping, under extreme pressure. That word patience means under extreme pressure. You see, God's people will cry out, they'll call out, it will be a loud cry, and it will be as Revelation 18, 1-3 says, it'll be as a light that enlightens the whole world. In the midst of the gross darkness, there'll be a light. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. And so that woman of Revelation 12 and the remnant of her seed are those that are responding to the first angel's message, the second angel's message, and the third angel's message, that first angel's message. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to treat them that dwell on the earth. Where is the angel? It's flying. It's in the midst of heaven. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ was God sent him, sent sent to John as signified through his angel, who bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. Blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps that word. In other words, that first angel's message, the reason the people become 
um, like they are is because they're listening to the Word of God. How many think that maybe this season it would be good to listen more to the Word of God? They did a study of over 40,000 Americans, both Christian and non-Christian, both uh, believers, non-believers. And this is what they discovered. Those who are engaged in scripture reading four to seven days out of the week had lower odds of participating in these behaviors. Remember, there's gross darkness that covers the earth. If they're just reading or listening, I don't even say reading, listening, just listening on an app, look what happens. 57% lower odds of getting drunk. 68% lower odds of sex outside of marriage. There's that fornication and sensualism. Pornography down 61%. Gambling down 74%. Smoking down 82%. Just by reading the Word of God, just by listening to the first angel. How many want to listen to the first angel? So... Listening to that full gospel, listening to the first angel, and then coming out of corruption, coming out of fornication and drinking and the things that are mentioned in that second angel's message. That's the picture that's given. Now let me show you this. You see, we each have a mind. Look at that person next to you and say, I'm very convinced you have a mind. If no one's talking to you, <laughs> see me afterwards. And in that mind, you can live either according to the spirit or according to the... You can have the spirit of unselfishness. John 3, verse 5, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and Jesus said, You must be born again of water and of the spirit. And the spiritual nature is not checking your brain at the door. You're able to use your reasoning abilities. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Isaiah 1, 18 and 19. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Evidence. Reason. Did you know that it's only in cultures that read the Bible, the Judeo-Christian cultures, that science even developed? Only cultures where that developed. Secondly, conscience. Once you read the word, you begin to say, I believe that that's truth. You see, God's word, John 6, 63, are spirit and their life. And the spirit, when he has come, will convict the world of sin, that's what's wrong, of righteousness, that's what's right, and judgment to come, that's John 16, 8. And once that happens, then a person says, I think that's worth my attention. I can see the science, I can see the scriptures, I can see that that's truth, and I desire that it is worth my attention, not just in listening, but in my life. That's responding to the first angel's message. 
How many would like to respond to the first angel's message? Now, of course, we have genetic liabilities. We have epigenetics. It takes 300 years to change your genetics, so you're not going to be doing that. It takes three minutes to change your epigenetics, so you can be involved in that. And those epigenetics are going to tell whether or not your genes are expressed or not. If you have a genetic problem, maybe showed up on your lab test, you can take some supplements, you can do different things, you can change things because epigenetics are powerful. But because of our genetics, because we live in a world of gross darkness, we are troubled with the flesh, with selfishness. Anybody here had any selfishness at all? The prince of the power of the air, the sons of disobedience, it talks about in Ephesians 2.1. And so the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wants some things that feel good. And I saw another angel flying, saying, Babylon has fallen, she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Wine tastes good. Fornication, all these different things of the flesh. They're sins of the flesh. Materialism, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, um, all of these different things plague us. Materialism, we like to have money, we like to have means. Of course, in Revelation 13, 17, only those at the end of time that follow the lust of the flesh are going to be able to have money. That's the second angel's message. Because you will not be able to buy or sell if you worship the beast and his image. So, sensualism, materialism, and finally egoism. I want it. I can afford it. I'm going to do it. This is the second angel's message. How many of you are understanding? Second angel's message. Now, what is it that makes the difference? And hopefully it's making a difference in your life and will even now. How is it that we break the tie? Remember we had three people singing. We have three pictures up there, three pictures down here. Now another three. Everything depends on the right action of the will. John chapter 1, verse 13. Not the will of the flesh, but the will of God. Not the will of man, but of God. Choose you this day who you will serve. Joshua 24, 15. Ezekiel 18, 14. I see all the things my father has done. I consider them. But I don't have to do likewise, Ezekiel 18, 14 says. I see, I consider. Oh wait, this is of the flesh, this is of the spirit. I see that dad was not good the way he acted. And I don't have to do that because of the power of God. And you say hallelujah. So I make a choice, and then what follows the choice? My thoughts. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of, of Christ, bringing every thought into captivity, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. So I make a choice, and then the thoughts follow. I don't have to believe everything I think. I can choose to say, that's a thought I don't care to believe or entertain. I choose not to believe that. Because it's of the 
and not of the it's of the and not of the how many of you are thankful for the freedom of choice and once that happens what follows I choose and then the thoughts follow and the feelings follow 1 John 3.20 um, if your heart condemns you I'm greater than your heart and I know all things emotions are not to lead they're very important they're to follow if we get this confused and we start living by our feelings and we invert this and we go feelings and then thoughts and then I choose we can end up doing almost anything that's not helpful to us how many of you want to have it the right way will thoughts feelings how many want to live by the and not by the that's the picture now let me show you this that first graphic up there the spirit is really the first angel's message the second graphic there is the second angel's message well what of the third angel's message the third angel's message is tied up with choosing the right option not the second angel's message but the first angel's message and why do we choose it why do we choose it because of what christ did let this mind be in you that was in christ jesus you see ultimately that third angel's message if anyone worships the beast in his image and all those different things he'll be tormented in the presence of the lamb he'll all these different things he'll have the wrath of god do you realize what the wrath of god how it was poured out jesus came jesus came hallelujah and he became sin for you he took the penalty of your sin on himself how many can say hallelujah for that there's no way he could have done that without being born as a human but he was born a human how many of you are thankful for christmas and he took your sin on him he took that wrath he said to his disciples are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? This was the baptism of death. This was the wrath of God being poured out. If you want to look at the wrath of God, read Revelation chapter 16. And the wrath is all poured out. It's actually a sanctuary model in 16. It goes through every piece of the sanctuary. It ends up with gross darkness around the throne. This is the counterfeit sanctuary. And all of that wrath was poured out on those who didn't accept what Christ did on the cross. How many of you want to accept what Christ did on the cross? Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11. 9 11, we might say. Did it happen yet? Or will it still happen? It already happened to Christ, so it doesn't have to happen to you. And isn't that the greatest gift of Christmas? And when you see that, you realize that the third angel's message is really the appeal of the cross. It's saying, don't choose the second angel's message and sensualism and the flesh and selfishness. Don't choose that. Choose that first angel's message. And choose what I did for you, not only as a babe, but on Calvary. And then... You'll work out your own salvation.
Philippians 2, 10 and 11, with fear and trembling, for it will be God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And you'll shine as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And you will not gagushmoy. You will not grumble about it. You will rejoice. How many can say hallelujah? And this is the picture of those three angels' messages, I think, practically. Now, how did Jesus, our example, how did he do this? On the cross, he was withdrawn from them a stone's throw, or in Gethsemane, rather. He was drawn from them a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what? This is his human will. It's the same one you have. Not my will, but thy will be done. And when he said that, what happened? What happened? An angel came and strengthened him. Just as the angel came to Joseph, just as the angel comes in the first and second angel's message, an angel came and strengthened him. How many of you Desire to have angels strengthen you. And perhaps that's the prayer that you should take away from today. Whenever something comes up, you say, wait a minute. Is that God's will? And then simply pray that prayer. Oh God, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. And what's the promise? Those who are ministering spirits of salvation, the angel will come and strengthen you right then. You see, the angels were not just for a story. <laughs> They're for your story. They're not just in history. They're for your life. Advent was a season, by the way, in the early church, of preparation for baptism, baptism of new Christians at the January Feast of Epiphany. Right after this service, we're going to have a baptism. How many think that's fitting? And perhaps we should all be baptized anew in our minds as well. The converting power of God. Now, I think this is just an amazing thing. The converting power of God can transform inherited and cultivated tendencies. For the religion of Christ is uplifting. Born again means a transformation, a new birth in Christ Jesus. You see, the Christmas story doesn't just have to be focusing on the birth of Christ thousands of years ago, but it can also focus on a new birth even here now in my heart and yours. How many think that we need a few more births here at Christmas? Three angels' messages. And notice what happens. Notice the impact and the reach of this. I want to look this one up. I don't have it memorized. I kind of do, but not as well as the others. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 
Look at that with me. Our, I think it's our, almost our last text. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Well, I'll read verse 14 and 15 first. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. If I'm delayed, I write so that you know, may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Where are we today? Which is the church, that church means ek kaleo, the cold out, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of what? Of truth. And then notice what happens. It's supposed to happen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. And what was that mystery? God was manifest in the flesh. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? That's the incarnation. Justified in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Seen by angels, hallelujah. Angels we have heard on high. Didn't we sing that? Seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles. Believed on in the world Received up into glory. You know what that word, that word world is in the original language? Cosmos. Cosmos. The universe. In other words, the impact of the Christmas story was not just to be local. It was not just to be global. It was supposed to be universal. Can you say hallelujah? And that's the impact that the Christmas story truly is to have. One last thing I forgot. Let me ask you a question first of all. Is what I've been sharing today good news? Are the messages of the angels of the first advent good news? Were they good news? Are the messages for the second advent good news? And what is the good news? I looked it up. <laughs> Gospel, you know what it means? News that makes one happy. Are you happy with what you've heard today about what God has done, is doing, and will do? It's information that causes one joy. It's words that bring smiles. It's a message that causes the heart to be sweet. <laughs> Tyndall said <laughs> about this word, the good, glad, merry tidings which make the heart to sing and the feet to dance. How many of you want to dance out of here? Knowing that God has done something new in your life. And look what happens when you engage in the scriptures. Controlling for other factors, this is what they find happens to those who start to understand and appreciate the gospel. They share their faith with others, 228% higher odds they're going to share their faith. They disciple others, 231% higher odds. They memorize scripture, 407 did you notice that I had memorized some scriptures today? How many of you noticed I memorized any scriptures? You know why? Because they make me so happy. They save my life. And they continue to save my life. And there's nothing better than those scriptures. And they're with me all the time. How many want to have those scriptures with you? Write them down. Memorize them. It's the good news. It's not just a story. It's life. I met someone the other day that said, you know, I don't want to, I don't know if I should read the Bible till I'm holy. 
I, it, it made me cry. Because the Bible's the only thing that you have a chance of ever being holy. It's the power of God. It's the good news. Years ago in America, there was a time called the Great Awakening. And the entire nation was filled with enthusiasts in theos, God within. And they were so happy about the gospel, they couldn't help but tell others. They didn't have to have the internet. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't even have microphones. But they just went and shared. And one of them's name was Whitfield. And Benjamin Franklin was a skeptic. He didn't believe. He was a deist. He was a skeptic in Christianity. But when he listened to Whitfield preach, he said every accent, every emphasis, Every modulation of voice was so perfectly well-tuned and placed that without being interested in the subject at all, one could not help but being pleased with the discourse. Pleasure is much the same with having an excellent piece of music. What was the impact of Whitfield's preaching and his witnessing? It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners and behavior of our inhabitants. Being thoughtless and indifferent about religion, it seemed that all the world was growing religious. So that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. The bars shut down. Taverns shut down. Alcohol consumption stopped. Essentialism was the thing of the past. And there was a great awakening. What's it say on the front of our bulletin? The quote on the very front? The revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of our needs. To seek this should be our first work. How many of you want to respond to the message of the first angel? How many want to respond to the message of that second angel? And how many want to be motivated by the reality of what Christ did in that third angel? And if you do, then you'll have something to do immediately when we leave this place. And what will it be? I gotta tell somebody. I gotta tell somebody. Let's stand together as we sing. Go, tell it on the mountain. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org